Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Today, creeps, we are going to talk about love. We are going to talk about soulmates, and we're going to discuss the average person's unwillingness to displease their partner. Well, sort of. In this case, it's more about two sadistic, twisted soulmates in love, and loving being in love in the worst possible way. One part of this match made in hell was Carla Hamolka, born May 4th, 1970 in Port Credit, Ontario, to two Czechoslovakian immigrants who had come to Canada, well, like everyone else for a fresh new life in a fresh new world. But Carla's father certainly wasn't the ideal role model for young women, and Carla and her two younger siblings often found themselves hugging, crying, and comforting each other, hidden away in their home, while their drunk father, spitting mad, fought with their mother. In her teens, Carla was eager to save some money, and loved animals with every fiber of her being. Minus, of course, that one time she threw a friend's pet hamster out of the window, killing it. So the clearly well-adjusted young Carla got a job at a local pet shop. Her cruel streak notwithstanding, she was a bright and diligent young girl who was liked by most of her teachers. They saw potential in her, but for what they clearly had no idea. In school, she wasn't only book smarts, but streetwise as well, and set clear boundaries with the boys at school, even going so far as to boss and bully them around for a change. And then she found the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Carla loved those books. She read them over and over and over. She couldn't get enough, but instead of becoming obsessed with solving crime, she became enthralled with the crimes themselves. As Carla grew and turned from a child into a woman, her interest divulged from simple crime, though, and quickly turned to the occult. Maybe it was the boredom of the suburbs, or a natural evolution from the crime-related fantasies, but Carla soon found herself trying to summon spirits with friends around a Ouija board and researching all she could about the world beyond her own. Her fantasies were no longer simply crime-related. They involved death, both in the relation of dying herself and killing others. And then Carla Homolka met the love of her life. At the age of 17 at a convention in Toronto, Ontario, Paul Bernardo. On the surface, Paul grew up in a well-to-do middle-class family with loving parents and a comfortable home, not a stress in the world. But as is often the case, that was not reality. 
1975, when Paul Bernardo was only an impressionable nine-year-old. His father, his hero, was charged with child molestation. The child molestation charges didn't make Paul love his father any less, though. In fact, it really didn't seem to bother him much at all. Paul was a young boy who clearly looked up to his father and idolized him. But when Paul was 16, his world was shattered. At age 16, Paul Bernardo found out the man he loved as his father, who was his hero, wasn't actually his father at all. Paul was the bastard son of a meaningless affair. That was the moment in Paul's life where, if it were a Shakespearean play, the playwright would reference this as the caesura, the moment the story turns. This was the turning point in Paul's life, and his behavior began to change drastically. Paul's mother, who he had never been aggressive towards, was suddenly the target of all of his anger and wrath. He began physically and verbally abusing her, brutally and without end, and then he left for university. Normally, that's a bright point in a young person's life, where their horizons broaden, where they see the amazing things that can happen and the amazing people that they can be. But for Paul, well, Paul took the unsupervised time to begin seducing co-eds with the aim to beat them and humiliate them much in the way he did with his mother, but more unrestrained. Much like Carla Homolka had her Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew novels, Paul was obsessed with the novel American Psycho, which he read like a Bible rehearsing and memorizing passages from it. Then when Paul Bernardo was 24 and Carla Homolka was 17, in October 1987, the two met. The attraction was instantaneous. They met and knew they were meant to be together. I can only imagine that Carla looked at Paul and Paul looked at Carla and they saw the same darkness, the same sickness mirrored in one another. And they were right. They had more in common than each of them separately ever would have imagined. And together they embarked on their sadomasochistic adventure, hand in hand. Paul was the abusive master and Carla was his willing slave. And it didn't take long until the world began to feel the effects of these two dark forces meeting one another. In May 1987, Scarborough, Ontario was inundated with a series of horrific assaults. On May 4th, a young woman stepped off the local bus, but before she could make it home, right when she was almost at her doorstep, she was grabbed and horribly, brutally assaulted. In the next two-week span, there were two more similar assaults. All of the women were between 15 and 21, and the attacks consisted of terrible beatings, verbal abuse, degradation, and threats in an attempt to prevent the girls from talking to the police. Paul would see his target as he prowled bus shelters all night. He would then follow them home and attack them just outside of their houses. 
one of the girls was even attacked inside the safety of her own home. Investigators were eager to resolve the unease in the community and put a stop to the horrible attacks. It was safe to assume that the perpetrator was the same for each assault, as the M.O. was identical. Then the newspapers began running the story, and like newspapers tend to do, gave who they would find out later was Paul Bernardo, the moniker of the Scarborough Rapist. At least 19 women were attacked over the next five years. At least 19 was the official number. But not all of Paul's attacks went smoothly. A couple of his would-be victims were able to fight him off and push back his assault, and Paul as a result was questioned by investigators twice, but sadly was never named as a prime suspect, let alone an official suspect or person of interest at all. Finally, in 1990, one of the victims was able to give a clear enough description to the police to make some modicum of progress. In November 1990, police went and had a little chat with Paul Bernardo, and Paul was so kind as to voluntarily drive to the station to speak with them. Paul allowed them to take DNA and fingerprints even. They asked Paul why he thought they were questioning him, and in some combination of words, Paul expressed he believed it was because he resembled the photo of the assailant. You can Google it if you want to, creeps. It's literally a sketch of Paul. The next day, after a ceaseless barrage of questions, Paul was released by police. It clearly wasn't him, right? Soon after, Paul and Carla became engaged. They were in love. They were Bonnie and Clyde, and that love wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. They were the ideal couple, in fact. Blonde hair, blue eyes. They were referred to as Ken and Barbie. But what filled them, where their souls should have been, was nothing but evil, black ichor, and pus. Even though Paul and Carla were the ideal lovers for one another, they weren't without issues. Carla Homolka wasn't a virgin when they met, and this bothered Paul. It was a nagging itch at the back of his mind. He wanted to. No, he needed to have sex with a virgin. And the two of them needed to fix that before they got hitched. That seemed to be an easy issue for the couple, though, because they wouldn't let anything stand in their way. And Paul had taken a liking to Carla's younger sister, Tammy, who was 15, right in the pedophilic wheelhouse of Paul. On December 23, 1990, Carla brought her younger sister over for a sleepover. But what Tammy didn't know is that Carla, her older sister, had given her a large dose of halothane that she'd stolen from the clinic she was employed at. Tammy passed out, and then Paul got a hold of her. And with Carla's help, Paul videotaped himself raping Tammy. But this perfect plan hit a bump in the road. Tammy began to seize and vomit while unconscious, and Paul and Carla panicked. They freaked out. This could very easily be the loose thread that would undo all their fun. So while Tammy choked on her puke 
The couple ran around the home, hiding all the evidence, which certainly wasn't a short task. And they did this task to completion before calling for an ambulance. Tammy Homolka was pronounced dead as soon as she arrived at the hospital. To add insult to injury, at Tammy's funeral, Carla and Paul placed a photo of themselves smiling and laughing inside her coffin. Their own sick little inside joke. One that no one would ever be the wiser to. If for some reason you creeps are seeking more insight into this tragic event, three weeks after Tammy passed away, Carla and Paul filmed themselves discussing the event, entitled it Fireside Chat. You can read the transcript online if you search for it. Now, one would assume this close call would have filled Paul and Carla with a little discretion or anxiety or sense of having to rein themselves in. But Paul and Carla were not normal, rational individuals, and instead it seemed to only escalate their crimes. Paul and Carla moved to a home a few kilometers away from where Tammy had passed away, to a place called Port Dalhousie on the shore of Lake Ontario. And it didn't take long for Carla to lure in Paul's next victim. On June 7, 1991, Carla invited another girl around, this time one she'd worked with at the pet store. The victim was 15 years old, like Tammy. But, unlike Tammy, she woke up the next day and didn't remember a thing. In fact, she had no idea she'd been sexually assaulted and violated and figured her intense vomiting was from drinking alcohol for the first time. The road for the ideal couple had been filled with adventure after adventure. It was a series of one exciting turn after another, so it only seemed natural to finally tie the knot. On June 29, 1991, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka married one another. The same day the two of them got married, a couple canoeing in Lake Gibson discovered concrete blocks containing human body parts in the water. The body parts belonged to a 14-year-old girl named Leslie Mahaffey, who had gone missing two weeks before the wedding of Paul and Carla. Leslie went missing after attending a friend's wake, who had passed away a week before her disappearance. After the wake, a group of her and her friends went to the woods to drink. Around 2 a.m., friends of Leslie's walked her home, she then sent them off, but she found out she was locked out of her own home, so she didn't want to wake her mother first and called a friend from a payphone to see if she could sleep there, but she had no luck. So she decided to walk back home and wake up her mother, but she never made it home. Paul had been nearby where the Mahaffey home was located, stealing license plates. He saw Leslie alone and offered her a cigarette, which he said was at the back of his car. When she was close enough to the car, he wrapped his sweatshirt quickly around her head and forced her into the vehicle and took her home. On June 16th, the day after she went missing, after she'd been tortured for 24 hours, before then being strangled, the couple moved Leslie's body from an upstairs bedroom to the basement. They then went upstairs to have dinner and enjoy their evening with the Homolka family who they were having over. After Carla's family left, 
they dismembered her. The newlyweds quickly felt the pressure after Leslie's body was found, and Paul started taking out his frustration on Carla, beating the hell out of her, trying to expend his frustration. But as the hours and days and then weeks passed, Paul and Carla began to feel the pressure ease, and then it was only a matter of who was next. On April 16, 1992, in the afternoon, Paul and Carla were driving through St. Catharines looking for a potential victim. That's when they saw Kristen French, pretty, confident, and 15 years old. So the couple did what they were good at and abducted Kristen. But Kristen's parents were quick to notice there was no sign of Kristen anywhere and reported her missing. Niagara Regional Police began searching the area along her usual routes and were lucky to find multiple witnesses who had seen the abduction from a series of angles and were able to give investigators a crystal clear picture of what had happened. Kristen French wouldn't be found alive though. After three horrific days, her nude body was discovered in a ditch on April 30th, 45 minutes from where she'd been abducted. On May 12th, 1992, a Niagara Regional Police Sergeant decided to just randomly interview Paul. He didn't think it was Paul, but he thought there was no harm in it. But when the sergeant spoke to Paul, Paul seemed congenial and charming and well-spoken, and Paul even admitted that he'd been questioned by police before in relation to the Scarborough rapes. But yeah, no, this police sergeant wasn't seeing it. It certainly wasn't Paul. And it didn't end up being a victim of rape or murder at the hands of Paul and Carla that would end their string of terrible deeds. They had gotten away with all of those. They were privileged and attractive, and no one was the wiser to what they entertained themselves with in their spare time. But in December 1992, Paul Bernardo got physical with Carla. He was in a rage and beat her over and over with a flashlight. She was no longer outside his reach of masochism. He seemed to enjoy it. She was becoming a victim herself. The next day, Carla arrived at work, and when asked by co-workers, Carla told them she'd been in a car accident. But she wasn't able to sell the story, and out of concern, her co-workers contacted her parents, who then physically removed Carla, kicking and screaming from the home she'd built with Paul. At one point of the chaotic rescue attempt by the Homolka family, Carla wrenched free and ran back into the home looking for something. What she was attempting to find were the videotapes her and Paul had filmed together, but it seemed Paul had hidden them even from her. There was officially trouble in paradise between the two. Carla's parents drove her to St. Catherine's General Hospital where her injuries were documented and police were called to take a statement from Carla. In her statement, Carla accused Paul of beating her throughout their entire relationship. She had become a battered spouse, and with the support of her parents, she pressed charges against Paul, who was arrested. And then the cards continued to fall. Two months later, Paul's DNA, which he had willingly and gleefully given to police, came back as a complete match for the Scarborough rapist. 
Carla knew the gig was up and was ready to try and position herself well and far away from the fire, which she had in tandem set with Paul. He wasn't loving. He acted like he didn't care that we got married. Um, he told me that he was a racist. And it just was not like the kind of wedding night that girls dreams about having. Being physically and verbally abusive to me at that time, as you know. Um, so he went over to her and he did the same thing he strangled her more. And I think I watched that time. because what the hell, she's dead anyway. Like, if I didn't say the right thing, he'd hit me. He held knives to my throat. He told me I better watch my back. I never should have gotten to know Kristen. Because you get emotionally involved with these people. And it really hurts. It hurts a lot more because I felt like I was friends with both of them, especially Kristen, because we did so much stuff together. We put makeup on together. Um, we talked, you know, just girl talking when Paul was gone getting us food. And it just made it hurt even more. Carla Homolka was quick to get a lawyer and begin working on her plea bargain, which she was hoping to receive in exchange for her testimony against Paul. Carla accused Paul of assaulting at least 30 women, and with her help, Paul Bernardo was charged on February 17, 1993, and along with the arrest, police had finally obtained a search warrant for the home. But police, like Carla hadn't found the videotapes either. On May 14, 1993, the plea agreement was finalized and Carla began giving her statements, and she continued to play what she saw as her ace card, the role of the battered wife. She rambled on and on about daily abuse throughout the entirety of the marriage, and how he'd forced her into participating in the rape and murder, She had been manipulated and threatened the entire time. But just as she was selling the police her false bill of goods, they found the tapes, hidden in the upstairs washroom. In fact, it was Paul who had given them to police. If he was going down, so was his lovely and caring wife, Carla. But, and this is to the ire of Canadians to this day, The prosecutor needed the jury to believe Carla was in fact a battered wife. They needed to believe her testimony. They needed that in order to convict Paul. Their whole case rested on it. So, and I quote, In simple terms, to secure a conviction against him, her story had to be believed by casting her as a victim of his predatory behavior. Her responsibility for the crimes that were committed had to be diminished, her credibility as a witness preserved. And as a result, on September 5th, 1995, Carla, for her crimes, of which there were many, was only sentenced to 12 years in prison with the possibility of parole after only serving three years. Paul Bernardo, on the other hand, was sentenced to at least 25 years without parole. But... Paul has always maintained the killing was all Carla's doing. He'd never killed before she arrived. He was only a rapist, so clearly it was solely Carla's doing and responsibility. 
And that's not to mention Carla hadn't even been initially charged with her sister Tammy's death, which she played an overwhelmingly large role in. The only way Tammy saw justice was because Carla unburdened herself in a letter to her parents, where she admitted to the crime for which she was given only two years added on to her sentence. Two years for killing her younger sister. On July 4th, 2005, Carla was released from prison. She then married her lawyer's brother, Thierry Bordelais, had two sons and a daughter, moved to Guadalupe to escape the scrutiny of the press for a time, and changed her name to Leanne. Carla Homolka currently lives in Quebec, free and happy with her family. Thankfully, at least Paul Bernardo is still in prison, where in 2006, he admitted to an additional 10 more sexual assaults in the 1980s, which he hadn't been tried for. But sometimes, evil gets a little lucky too. It goes without saying, the world would have been much better if Carla and Paul had never met. If they had never married, if they had never enjoyed another's company. I like to think that everyone is deserving of love, but given half the chance in a time machine, I think anyone would be more than willing to go back and try and deny them each other's love. So, creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly... Every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. (laughs) 